0: Today's programme is brought to you by the number four. Four is a remarkable number. For example, among the infinity of numbers, it's the only one that has the same number of letters in its name as the number itself. Four. F-O-U-R. Perhaps more significantly, it's the answer to a question that puzzled mathematicians for over a century. What is the maximum number of colours required to colour a map? so that no two neighbouring countries have the same colour. The problem was first posed in 1852 by a student, Francis Guthrie, who mentioned it to his brother, who mentioned it to the distinguished mathematician Augustus de Morgan, who wrote about it to the equally eminent William Rowan Hamilton.
1: My dear Hamilton, a student of mine asked me today to give him a reason for a fact which I did not know was a fact, and do not yet. He says that if a figure be anyhow divided and the compartments coloured so that figures with any portion of common boundary are differently coloured, four colours may be wanted but no more. My pupil says he guessed it in colouring a map of England. The more I think of it, the more evident it seems.
0: Imagine a map of the southwest of England and colour the sea blue. That's the first region. You could colour Devon red, neighbouring Somerset could be green and Dorset could be yellow. So far we've used four different colours for four different regions. Now for Cornwall we don't need another colour because it doesn't border Somerset so it could be green as well. But if we kept on colouring would we ever need a fifth colour or are four colours sufficient? And how would you ever prove which is the case? Robin Wilson is the author of Four Colours Suffice.
2: At first sight, it seems as though the more complicated the map is, the more colours you're going to need. But amazingly, it seems that if you try to do a few, you can always get away with just four colours. And certainly the four-colour problem has provided many thousands of hours of enjoyment and frustration for many people. So this problem, which is so simple to state, but so frustratingly difficult to to solve, seems to present an intellectual challenge of enormous complexity. So presumably
0: mathematicians sat down, they generated lots and lots of maps, maybe thousands of maps, um, coloured them all using four colours and, and, and thereby prove that the four-colour theorem was correct?
2: That's not the way to do it. It's not enough to verify it just for thousands of maps or even for millions or billions of maps because there might just be one out there which can't be coloured with four colours. So you need to develop some sort of general argument that will deal with any map, whether a, a real-life map or any fictitious one that you may, may choose to make up.
3: It is a wonderful problem because it's so easy to start playing around with. Can I try and draw a map of Europe, change the, d- d- the boundaries of countries such that, in fact, I need five colours? And the more and more you try, you realise that there's something special about four colours and maps. Whether
1: it's the counties of England, the American states, or any fictitious map you may care to invent, is it true? that any map can be coloured with just four colours so that no two neighbouring countries have the same colour. Then, in 1872,
0: Arthur Kemp of the London Mathematical Society believed he had a proof. Ian Stewart of Warwick University explains his brilliant strategy. If we're looking at a really
1: complicated map, the way we go about colouring it is step-by-step simplify it. And then we need some guarantee that if the simplified map can be coloured with four colours, then the original map can be coloured with four colours. This is a kind of reduction technique. But it always at some point this reduction grinds to a halt and you you can't make the map any simpler. And then you just need a list of all the maps that you would encounter when you get to that stage. And then one by one, by whatever method you like, including simply sitting down and doing them, you show that those can be coloured as well. So this is called an unavoidable set.
0: Or, working backwards, the idea was to show that a finite group of maps is four colourable. Then show that all maps are effectively built from the finite group and Bob's your
1: uncle. The easiest one to understand, suppose you have a country that only has three neighbours. It's a, it's a triangular country with only three adjoining. Then whatever, however you colour the remaining bits of the map, it's only got three neighbours. So there's a fourth colour left for it. That means you could shrink that country down to a point and make it disappear from the map. And then if you colour what's left, you can then pop that country back into the space where it occupied and just make sure it's different from the three neighbours. Everyone was happy with
0: Kemp's proof for a decade, until Percy Haywood of Durham University discovered an error in the logic when it was applied to more complicated shapes.
2: The error occurs in the way that Kemp dealt with the Pentagon. He tried to do two interchanges of colour at the same time, and Hayward showed that, in fact, you can't do that. It can lead to all sorts of problems that Kemp hadn't expected. But what Hayward managed to do in his paper was he pointed out Kemp's error, and then he managed to salvage enough uh, from Kemp's paper to prove that every map can be coloured with five colours, which is still quite an amazing result, but it's not the one that we were originally trying to solve.
0: So, you could definitely colour any map with five colours. But could you get away with just four? It became an infamous problem, well known in Victorian society. Lewis Carroll formulated the problem as a game between two players labelled A and B.
1: A is to draw a fictitious map. B is to colour it. A forces B to use as many colours as possible. How many colours would that be?
0: The headmaster of Clifton College set the problem as a challenge to his pupils.
2: Required a good proof of this. Why four? Solutions to be sent to the headmaster before December the 1st. No solution may exceed one page, 30 lines of manuscript
0: and one page of diagrams. Even the Bishop of London got hooked. I thought
1: I'd proved it while allowing my mind to wander during a meeting. But I was wrong. All I'd proved was a consequence of the Four Colour Theorem. Did you ever try and prove the four-colour theorem? Um, I messed around a little bit. One, one of my colleagues here at one point thought he had a proof, but um, mathematicians also are also very sceptical about these things. So if you, if you think you've got a proof of one of the really big theorems, the first thing you do is take it to your colleagues and say, where's the mistake? And in this particular case, there was a, a subtle mistake, and so it, came, it never came to anything. Did, did you find a mistake? No, I didn't. It was, it was yet another colleague. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> As each generation of
0: mathematicians failed, the problem developed a notoriety. Marcus de Sotoy
3: of Oxford University. The longer it remained unsolved, the higher it went up the mathematical hierarchy. In fact, there's a story about Hermann Minkowski, who was a German number theorist and geometer in Göttingen at uh, the turn of the 20th century, and the question came up in one of his lectures... And he said, the reason this hasn't been solved is that uh, nobody good enough has tried to solve it. I'm sure I can do it. And he spent several lectures labouring away trying to prove the four colour map problem. And eventually he arrived at one of his lectures, followed by a clap of thunder and declared, heaven is angered by my arrogance. My proof is defective. So the more and more people who tried to solve it, the more and more a challenge it became. With decades of failure, it seemed like the four colour problem was a waste
0: of time. But even though the problem itself remained impenetrable, Robin Wilson believes that the failure to solve the problem led to breakthroughs in other areas.
2: All the various attempts to solve it have... uh led to the development of a lot of exciting mathematics, uh, which has practical applications to all sorts of real-world problems, and in particular to various network problems, problems involving road networks, rail networks, airline networks, and so on. Solutions of these derive ultimately from attempts to solve the four-colour problem.
0: And then, out of the blue, the problem was finally solved in 1976 by two Americans, Kenneth Apple and Wolfgang Harkin. It is estimated that both professional and amateur mathematicians had already spent more than 10 million hours trying to prove the theorem. So not surprisingly, Ken Apple was overwhelmed by his success.
4: I really considered it one of the most enjoyable times of my life. It was a very strange time because I spent virtually all of my free time working on this problem and we never knew if it was going to end well. But we did know that every week, some things had fallen into place. Apple and Harkin
0: had fixed the error in Kemp's 19th century strategy. So they'd reduced the four-colour problem to one of checking the colorability of a large but finite number of maps. This was an enormous step forward, but checking the maps required the use of 3,000 hours of computer time.
1: By hand, they came up with this list of just short of 2,000 maps. Using a computer, they showed that each of those 2,000 maps can be four-coloured. Using good old mathematicians' logic, they showed that if you've got any map whatsoever, there is a way to simplify step by step. At each stage, if the simple map is 4 colorable then so was the original one. And they proved that you eventually get down to one of these unavoidable maps, which we already know is four-coloured because we checked them all this was a huge computation at the time. It took months and months
4: and months of computer time. We knew that there was still lots of checking to be done, but the arguments we used were robust, and that's what it turned out to be the case. When we thought we were about there, I wrote a note on the blackboard in the mathematics department, uh, modulo careful checking, it appears that four colours suffice. The 4 colors suffice was taken by our, our department for its postmark. This was the first time that a postmark had been used to announce a mathematical
0: proof. After 124 years of torture, the four-colour problem had been solved. But the reaction from mathematicians was not unqualified jubilation. This was the first major proof that relied so heavily on a computer, as opposed to just a brain and pencil and paper this would turn out to be a controversial point. For example, how the computer achieved its result was
3: not obvious. The computer proof was a little bit like listening to a piece of music and suddenly the volume was turned down and then suddenly the music's turned up at the end and you hear the final chord. Well, that's not very satisfying and and mathematicians, uh, the proof is as important, if not more important, than the actual final result. And So there's been a sense of dissatisfaction about this proof that we've been denied the ah now I get it factor that we all crave when we read a proof it's a bit like when microscopes
1: came into biology with the microscope you can look down it and say good heavens look at what's in that pond I didn't realize there were lots of little creatures down on that small scale now the skeptics can say "Ah, but you're not using your eyes anymore you're looking through this strange machine could not the strange machine be generating the things that you see and this is a bit like the critics of computer proofs And the answer to them is not to say we won't use our microscope. It's to say, ah, but we will check our microscope is really built properly. Uh, there, there, There is no scope in the way it's constructed for the things that we see to be false. It must be giving us an accurate picture. So there's a very careful protocol for how you go about these calculations and how you really make sure they're right. And it's not perfect, but it's at least as good as the way you check a hand calculation.
2: I mean, now computers are used much more widely in mathematical proofs, but even so, people seem to be a lot happier with a proof that might be 300 pages of hard logic, which may contain all sorts of humour and error, and one just has to show that it doesn't. Whereas, in fact, a computer doing something completely routine uh, seems still to raise some suspicion in some minds. I mean, for me, uh, I would much more happily trust a computer doing something routine than than 100
4: pages of, of, of detailed argument which may contain errors. We were fortunate in having the first rather well-known proof of this type. I mean, I certainly can understand all the controversy. It's also a, a matter of changing times. Initially, when we proved the theorem, the people who were most comfortable accepting it were younger people who'd grown up with some knowledge of computers. And it caused great, great discomfort to older mathematicians who thought of it as a horrible thing to do to a field which really had its artistic aspects. So
0: it's a very complicated question. So some mathematicians still yearn for a traditional proof and they won't be happy until they have it. If you have some spare time this evening you might like to have a go yourself.
2: The question is still is there a non-computer proof of the four-color problem. If there is, it's likely to be exceedingly complicated. Really clever mathematicians have have tried for over a century to come up with a solution, and they have failed. So if there is a non-computer proof, it will be very complicated. That's a challenge. Another five numbers was presented by Simon
5: Singh. The producer was Adrian Washbourne. And next week, Simon looks at the number seven. Lucky for some, but its big secret lies at the heart of a properly shuffled pack of cards. And you can find out more about the numbers featured in the series by visiting our website at www.bbc.co.uk slash Radio 4. This Friday afternoon, there'll be a special edition of Feedback looking at BBC Television and Radio's coverage of the war in Iraq. Roger Bolton is seeking your views on how the BBC kept you informed as the conflict unfolded. What did you think about our correspondence reports from the field and our experts' contributions from the studio? To share your opinions or concerns, call 08700 100 400. That's 08700 100 400. And you can hear our special edition of feedback this Friday afternoon at half past one. And in a moment here on 92 to 95 FM, we continue our book of the week. Whilst on 198 Longwave Now, the daily service this morning is led by Andrew Greystone.